All righty. Good morning, Rich Point Church. How are you doing this morning? Good. It is awesome to see everybody this morning. We're really glad you're here. Uh, do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you. Give them a fist bump and say this. It's good to have some cooler weather this morning. I think our friends Dick and Nancy Saxon brought some of that weather home with them. It's not going to last very long, though, so we've got to enjoy it while we can. Listen, we are super glad that you're here this morning. I love the, just a little bit of cooler weather. I'm not wearing a sweater today because I have to, but because I can. Uh, so, like, we, we love this season. We love when there's a little bit of cooler weather. But, but even more, I'm excited about today because we get to kick off a brand new series here that we're calling Gratitude. And there's something about kind of as we enter into this, this season, as we kind of get into November and the holidays are around the corner, that it brings, honestly, it brings a myriad of emotions with it. Uh, for some, they're really excited about the holidays coming, and it's going to mean a chance to, to be with friends and family, and, and it's going to be just a, a lot of good memories. And for some people, there's uh, some loss associated with the holidays, and so it brings some hard memories but the thing that I've discovered is whether we view the holidays as good or, or, or challenging because of our particular lot in life, that there's a sense of, of gratitude among many of us that, man, as I love the fact that the holidays kind of enter into the last part of the year because we can look back on, on the previous year and say, you know, things didn't always go the way I wanted them to go, but I really have it pretty well. And, and so there's something about this season that we have a chance to look back in to do that, to have this idea of, of being grateful about my life. But I want to challenge us to do something. And I, and I felt kind of uh, just this, this idea impressed upon me this year more than any other is that we do have a tendency to, to think about these things around the holidays. But I want us to remember this as we kind of go into this series. The gratitude is more about attitude than it is a moment. Everybody get that a second. I'm going to say that again. Gratitude is more about attitude than it is about a moment. And, and so here's, here's the challenge to this, is that we can do this because we know Thanksgiving's around the corner, and a lot of times as we approach uh, Thanksgiving, we, we think about things that we're grateful for, and, and we can come into this season and say, you know what, I want to spend a day being really thankful. Or I see this on social media where people uh, share this idea of, man, during November, I'm going to be thankful every day for one thing, and I'm going to share that so all my friends can see. And I love that. But if all we do is because it's this season of the year is to remember those things, and it isn't part of our attitude, if we just kind of leave it as, okay, I'm grateful for those things, and I'm going to continue to go on with the normal kind of position of my life, then we're missing out on a crucial element of what it means to really be whole and complete in Jesus. And that's really what we're longing for. It's really what we strive for, is, is I really want my contentment, I want my position, uh, my gratefulness to be in Jesus. And, and so... As we talk about this, this topic, our challenge is to say, how do I take this from being something I observe because Thanksgiving's around the corner or because it's November to this is just who I am in life? Because I can almost guarantee you that everybody here could think of one person in their life, that every time you see them, it always seems like they have a very sweet, very loving disposition, like there's a very grateful personality that they have and literally to be around that person always makes us feel really good well the idea is that they take this gratitude this attitude and they say it's not just about this moment but it's about how do I apply that to every facet every season of my life 
Because I have loved the last couple of weeks. I've loved the worship the last couple of weeks. It's been really powerful. But I've also loved the conversations that are being had. Uh, in particular, last week after the message, I was talking to a couple of people after the service. And, and, and they were commenting on, man, I really needed it. That was really encouraging. I, I needed that. But I said, here's the thing that we all experience, and I experienced this as well. We all experience this. Is on Sunday morning, I hear a message. Last week, we talked about this idea that in, in all positions to be content, which kind of leans into what we're talking about in this series, but whether things are really good or whether things are not going my way to be content. And we come in, and we hear a message like that, and we think, yeah, you know what? I have to do a better job at that. And on Sunday morning, it seems really, really clear. I got that. I'm in church. That felt good. I want to do a better job than I have been in the past at doing whatever it is that we're being challenged to do. But then Monday hits. And it's very easy as Monday hits to go back into the grind and to, to forget about the lessons that we learned in church or, or what we read in scripture that morning or even what we learned in family group. And we kind of go back into, man, I just got, got, I got kind of back into the status quo of how I was living my life prior to this. This is such an important topic for us. Because when Jesus enters into the world that he enters into, it, it's, a, it's a very harsh world. Uh, there's a lot of challenges that he's facing. And even among the religious leaders of his day, there was a lot of this desire in their lives to point people to themselves and, and to kind of get gains for themselves. And Jesus comes to establish a new kingdom that's unlike anything else the world's ever seen. When he comes, he comes to establish this new kingdom whose currency is love. And if there's one thing you've heard me say more than anything else, it's that statement that Jesus comes to establish a new kingdom and the currency of that kingdom is, is love. And it goes against the, the culture of his day and it goes against the culture of our day. You see, we live in this culture where because of our birthright, because of where we're born or where we grew up or, or because of where we live, we have a lot of advantages. But we've been taught this idea that we want to pursue the American dream and that that's the kingdom that we're chasing after. And Jesus comes and says his kingdom is vastly different. And he starts to speak on this idea that it's the way that we treat the people around us. It's the way that we serve the people around us. And it, it, the early disciples, there are some people who gravitated towards that message. And there's others who looked at that and said, man, that seems really too crazy for me. And they kind of shied away from it. But the early disciples said, we want to take this message and, and we want to use it to literally transform the world. Because Jesus came to establish a new kingdom that was vastly different than anything else. And the new kingdom wasn't just for our holiday season. You see, I love the idea that around the holidays, we tend to become more generous. We tend to look for opportunities to serve. But there was a moment in my life where all of this started to connect a little bit more with a little bit more clarity. See, about 15 or 16 years ago, I'd taken, I was a youth pastor at the time, and I'd taken a group of students up to a worship conference. It was, it was a, a band that was with me, and we were going up to this worship conference up in Georgia. And there's a church in that area that I always wanted to visit, so we were up there. So I said, hey, while we're there, the conference was all day Saturday. I said, we're going to stay over Saturday night, and Sunday we're going to go to this church. And I was really excited to go to this church. And, and so we walk in, we were told you have to get there early because the church fills up. And, and so we got there really early, and we got our seats. And, and I saw that they were doing the series that was launching that morning was a series called How to Be Rich. 
And at first I heard that and I misunderstood what the series was all about. Now there are some churches that will teach things like how to become rich and all that, but I didn't think that was how this church was. And, and I kind of walked in and I thought, I'm not sure I'm going to get behind this message a whole lot. Like a, there are pastors that will get up on TV and tell you, hey, if you follow Jesus, he's going to make you rich. The Bible never says that. And so I was kind of there and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about this. And the pastor got up. And he started, and, and I didn't realize this at that point, but they were launching something that, uh, that they do now every Thanksgiving up through even now. They're just launching it back again this week at their church. But he got up and he explained something. And he said, now I know, peop- I know people, because it's a huge church, he says, I know people that are rich. And he said, rich people do silly things. And he started to launch into this thing of ideas of silly things that rich people do. Like rich people walk up to a refrigerator full of food and they'll open up the doors and look in the fridge and they will say, there's nothing to eat. A fridge full of food and they'll look at that and say, there's nothing to eat. So they'll close the door and instead of going out and buying food for them to make, they go to these places where they actually have people that cook meals for them because they're rich. They have people that do that for them. And so they go to these places, they're called restaurants. And they have these meals prepared for them, and, and they order so much, they have too much left over, so they take them home in doggy bags, ironically, and they take those back and they put them in their fridge so that tomorrow they can walk into the same fridge, open up the doors, and say, even though the leftovers of what they ate last night are still there, there's nothing to eat. And, and then he went on to joke about how because they're overeating, they then go and buy a gym membership. Now, they could walk around the block a couple of times, but they go and buy a gym membership that they never really intend to use, but it makes them feel better. And, and, they t- and he talked about all of these things, and, and obviously what he was getting at is that that's a little bit of all of us. We all have a tendency to do some of those things. So they do this series every year on how to be rich. I'm not going to get into the passage yet. The words are not going to appear up on the screen yet, but in the beginning of the passage of what we're going to read this morning. Paul's writing to a young uh, pastor in the faith called Timothy. And he begins the passage by saying this, as for the rich in this present age. Now, if we were just listening to that ourselves, if we just heard just that part of the passage and, and we thought, okay, as for the rich in this present age, well, that's not talking about me because I'm not rich. I could probably name some people that are rich, But I'm not rich because I don't feel rich. But here's the thing that I want us to discover, especially today, is there's a difference between feeling rich and being rich. And and here's the difference. Here's what we do when we talk about this idea of, of feeling rich. What do we mean when we say feel rich? Well, there's kind of this hierarchy of of income, hierarchy of of how we do life, that we think, if I just get to this level in my life, well, at that point, I'm going to feel rich. And when we're really, really young, maybe we're still at our parents' house, or maybe we're out on on our own for the first time, maybe we've gone to school or college, or we're starting to, to earn a career for ourselves, our main goal is to make sure that, number one, that our basic needs are being met. What we mean by basic needs, it means that we have a roof over our head, we have a place to stay, we have clothes. And and the thing is, in each of these categories, obviously there's 
a, a hierarchy of needs even within that category that the more in, uh, affluence we have, uh, the more we start to feel like, okay, I feel like I have a little bit more. For instance, when I'm in college and I want to make sure that my basic needs are being taken care of, you know it's coming, right? <laughs> like this right here, I bought these, a six-pack of these for a dollar. So I could buy 60 of these for $10 and live for like a month. Like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I could survive. Uh, who, who needs a ramen right now? If you need a ramen, I'm serious, I'll give it to you right now. Come on up here. Jenny, here you go. Ready? Oh, hold on, hold on. I bought a six-pack. So you get them all. You can share with your friends around you. So, Jenny, there you go. You can eat for a week now. Congratulations. But, but the thing is, is that, like, when we start off and, and we're starting to have our needs met, we start off with basic things. That can change as we get a little older. Maybe family's involved. We realize that that's not a good health plan to eat that all the time. So, so we add to that. Our meals maybe get more extravagant. But we're still talking about basic needs. We're not talking about luxuries. We'll get there. But you know how you can tell when a person's living the life of luxury? is when instead of handing out the little pieces of candy that we tend to hand out at Halloween, people are handing out these right here. Now, I've not found the neighborhood that passes these out yet. And the people that do find out those neighborhoods, they don't tell anybody else because it's going to ruin it for them. But, but this is like the mark of, of luxury. Like if I get to a spot where they're handing out like not just the regular Hershey bars, but like the king size Hershey bars, I realize I've gone past my basic needs to the lap of luxury. Who needs chocolate this morning? <laughs> the hands went up a lot faster. Come on, you get it. The hands went up a lot faster for this than it did for the ramen. Sorry, I, didn't, I did not get a six pack of those. But, but here's the thing is that we go from basic needs. And we think, man, as a young person or maybe as a newly married couple, we think if I just have my basic needs taken care of, if I have a place to stay, if I have food, if I have clothing, then I feel good. But every step along the way, we feel like the person who's at the next level, well, that's what it means to be rich. And once we get to a certain spot in this feeling rich, we never want to go back because once we have clothes, we don't want to go back to not having clothes. Once we have a place to live, we don't want to go back to not having a place to live. And so what happens is we get this idea in our mind that, well, this is what it means to feel rich. And the person who's a step ahead of us, if I ever got to just that spot in life, well, I'd feel really rich. So it goes from basic needs being met to having some sort of entertainment. If I have my basic needs and if I'm just kind of hanging out doing my thing and, and I don't have a whole lot to go and spend on things like going out to a restaurant, someone cooking for me, or going out to a movie or to a ball game, we think, man, as, as a young couple newly married, we think if I could just get to a spot where I had some disposable income to be able to enjoy life a little bit more, well, then I'd feel rich. And we think that until we get to that spot in life. And now we're there because really what we're longing for isn't any of these things. What we're longing for what makes us feel rich is margin. But we're, we keep thinking, if I just pursue, if I just get to the next level, I'm going to be there. 
So go from basic needs to having some sort of entertainment to say, okay, now I have money. I can actually put money aside in the savings. That way if something bad happens, if the AC goes out at the house, I have a way to take care of those things. And so if I'm, if I'm living my life, if I have some freedom to be able to do some of the things I want to do, and now I'm able to put money aside, well, if I'm at step two, step three, if I get there, that looks really, really enticing. Then I'm going to feel a little bit more rich. Until we get there, we realize, man, that savings isn't a whole lot. If I could just have this, then I'd be able to have luxury. If I could go out and maybe get that, that new car that I want, or if I could buy a little bit bigger house, now that our family's starting to grow a little bit, if I could just get to step four, which is luxury, I have some of the things that are just a little bit nicer. And then if I, I get to that point, I'm thinking, okay, that's good, but I still don't feel like I thought I'd feel. And so finally we get to the fifth one, which is long-term security. And each step along the way, and there's probably some small sub-steps in the middle of that, but each step along the way, we think, if I'm at level one, level two feels really rich. And then I get to level two, and I think I'm not finding what I'm looking for. Let me get to level three, and, and, and then I'm still not satisfied. Let me get to level four and level five. We keep thinking that if I just get to the next level, I'm going to feel better. And when it comes to what we're talking about this morning, if I could just get a couple of these things knocked out, then when I find out about some needs that are happening around me, I'm finally going to be able to have the income to be able to help meet some of these needs. If I find out in Thanksgiving or Christmas that there's someone who really needs help because they don't have a whole lot, well, if I got up past level five, now I feel like I can finally give back to the community because at that point I feel a little bit more rich, but really what we're longing for is margin because... And this is so important. Our idea of what it means to be rich, to, to be rich, is really, really warped. Visa International did a study fairly recently where they put together the amount of income that people are bringing in to their home uh, as, as different countries across the world. And this is what they found. This is the chart that they found. Over half of the world lives on income of less than $2 per day, that'd be $60 a month. And the thing is, we look at this chart, is you look at people who are destitute, who earn less than a dollar a day, people who are very poor, combining those two together, make it at the most $2 a day. That's 3 billion people in our world. The poor people are making $730 to $1,500 a year. Uh, and then there's a large chunk of people making somewhere between $1,500 and $20,000. And then 300 million sounds like a whole lot of people until we look at the billions of people in the world. 300 million people are making more than $20,000 a year. The thing they discovered as they made this chart is that almost every adult who lives in the United States fits into that small red triangle at the very top. And listen, I want us to understand why we do this. The last thing we want you to do is for anybody to feel guilty about any of this information. That's really counterintuitive and it's counterproductive. But it should lead to this gratefulness, this gratitude in our life. To say, you know what, I don't have everything that I want. But if I took stock right now in my life of the things that I do have, in comparison to 4 billion people in our world, 
who are living on less than $1,500, not a week, not a month, less than $1,500 a year. We have it pretty good. And if we're going to live with an attitude of gratitude, if we're going to live with, man, this making a difference, it doesn't stop with us being grateful. There's so much more than that. If you want to know specifically, there's a website I go to from time to time just for, for in, in, in my life to say, man, I want to have an appreciation of how good we have it. There's a website called globalrichlist.com. On globalrichlist.com, if you go in there, you put in U.S. dollars, and this is how much you make. You find out in terms of the, the millions of people in, or billions of people in our world, what percentage of, of people make the, the amount of money that you make. And for most of us here, we'd probably find ourselves in the top 5% richest people in the world. And again, our goal is not to make people feel guilty about that, but for us to be able to come into a place like this and say, man, when we celebrate all that, we celebrate first God for who he is, but also for what he's done, we should come with the heart that is overflowing. But because you and I have a tendency to play the comparison game, because we talked about the last couple of weeks, the main reason why we have anxiety is because of the rise of social media and we see people living these incredible lives and all we're actually seeing is a small snapshot of their lives. But we see that, we think, man, they have all this stuff. I have to live just like that. And we lose that clarity of being grateful and having gratitude because we're on this never-ending quest to say, I want to have more stuff because I think in the discovery of stuff that I'm going to find my satisfaction. Well, like I said, the passage we're looking at this morning is Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's writing to him saying, hey, here's some things you're going to encounter, and as a pastor, here's how I want you, here's some things you can challenge your church with. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 17, and we're going to read three verses about this charge that Paul gives, and we're going to talk about what do we do with that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says this, As for the rich in this present age, which we've already identified, if, if the Bible is written to us today, that would be most of us here. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to think ourselves better than anybody else, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then he says this, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is, watch these words, truly life. See, we've thought up until this point, we've bought into this idea that if I just amass enough stuff in my life, that that's going to be living. Guys, how many of us have looked at a, like a souped up sports car and it pulls up and it sounds really, really good. We think, man, if I was just driving that right there, I would feel so powerful. Like if I just had that, man, all like that would just make me feel so good. We think that those ideas, not that there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves, but this idea that the Bible never says there's anything wrong with money, but there's something wrong with the love of money. There's something wrong with us finding our identity in those things. And so Paul, writing at the very end, says, listen, when you learn these principles, you're going to be able to take hold of that which is truly life. 
Those people, those few people that really learn the power of gratitude, there just seems to be a completion about them. They're not stuck in the rat race. In fact, they're not moving quite as fast as everybody else seems to be moving. It doesn't mean they're not hustling. It just means their life isn't out of control. There's a peacefulness about their life. And Paul writes and says, if you figure out these principles, he says, I charge you to talk to the people who are rich in this present age. And he gives a couple of pieces of instruction. First of all, he says this, don't put your trust in worldly riches. Now, in the process of redefining what it really means to be rich, but he says, listen, if, if we think we put our trust in, in these things, if we think, well, I've arrived at a spot where I could make it, then we put our trust in those things, and those things could be gone in a moment. About the same time that I traveled to that church in Georgia, I got a chance to speak in the home church that I was at at that point. I was a youth pastor. I didn't speak every Sunday, but I got a chance to speak, and, and, and I shared this message uh, on, on the idea that, man, all this can be gone really quickly. And, and I shared this idea. I said, all of us are all, each one of us here is one or two bad decisions away from losing everything. Losing our, our families, losing our, our possessions, losing everything, like every one of us. And, and I remember there was a gentleman there who was really successful. He owned a couple of businesses. And I was looking around, I was wondering, like, the crowd you're speaking to, I'm like, I wonder if everybody really gets this. And I looked at him, and I thought, if there's anybody who's, like, well insulated, it might be him. He might be sitting here saying, J.J., that's a load of rubbish. I've spent my whole life building this up. I had lunch with him that, that same week. And he came and said, J.J., what you said really hit me hard. And he said, because you're right, for every one of us, we're one or two bad decisions away from losing everything. And so Paul writes and says, listen, to the people who are rich in this present age, don't allow them to be haughty. Don't allow them to think themselves better than anybody else. And don't put their trust in those riches because that can all be taken away. There's a whole story in Scripture about Job, a person who lost everything. It can all be gone in a moment. So it says, don't put your trust in those things, but rather appreciate all that God has done for us. Don't put your trust in those things, it says, but put your trust on God, who richly provides us with everything to, what's that next word? It says, to enjoy. He says, listen, it's okay. We put our trust in God, and he gives us these things. And listen, he says it's okay for us to enjoy those things. He doesn't say those things are bad. He says, just don't put your confidence in them because they can be gone. Instead, we put our trust and appreciation in God who gives us these things for us to enjoy, not for us to worship, but for us to enjoy. God gives us these things for us to be able to appreciate them. But for us really to move, and this is kind of the big idea of what we're talking about this morning. For us to move from having gratitude be something we do in a moment to, to this attitude that permeates our life, we have to realize this idea that gratitude only begins with appreciation. I'm going to say that again. Gratitude only begins with appreciation. We think as long as we show up on Thanksgiving morning we cook the turkey and we bring the family together and we stop before we eat. We give pause and give thanks to God. And maybe we go around the table one time and say, hey, tell me one thing that you're thankful for today. 
we think if I just do that, then I'm showing gratitude. And partially that's true. But gratitude, if we're going to catch it as an attitude, only begins with appreciation. When we're done with the appreciation, when we're done saying, God, I want to thank you for what you've done because you've given me all of this stuff to enjoy. When we're done with that, we're, asked, we're left with a question. And we ask ourselves this question, what do I do with what I have? What do I do? God's given me so much. What do I do with what I have? Well, Paul here writing to Timothy says, I want to give you instruction because God's blessed you with some incredible things. And now what do you do? What do they do with what they have? And he says this. Go ahead and put verse verse 18 back up there. He says this. They are to do good, to be rich in what? Good works. So we've thought up until this moment that being rich had to do something with with this right here. If, If I just have enough here, if I have enough in my bank account, or if I have enough stuff, that that's what's going to make me feel really rich. Paul says, listen, there's nothing wrong with those things. God gives you those things for you to appreciate, to enjoy. But that's not what being rich is all about. He says, instead, charge them to be rich in good works, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So what do I do with what I have? Like, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. If gratitude is going to become an attitude in our life, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with what we have? Well, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to share some opportunities for people to do that. Because ultimately, there's two things we're looking at. First is to be rich in good works. That means look for opportunities to serve. And the other is to be generous with what we have, to be ready to share. So over the next couple of weeks, as we go a little bit further into this conversation, it's really a three-week-long conversation, we're going to talk about how being, uh, having gratitude is more than just appreciation. Having gratitude is, is being able to recognize and, and to love on people around us and, and look for opportunities to, to make a difference. So how do we begin that? So each week, we're going to give some practical steps that you can take, some ways that you can get plugged in. And there are... Uh, Two ways that I want to highlight this morning as we talk about this. Uh, The first is there's a chance to be a part of, uh, we're we're doing coming up a, uh, hold on, i can got to make sure I get these in order, a Thanksgiving outreach. Uh, For those who've been around here for a while, this is one of the things, it isn't just a Ridgepoint thing. We partner with a bunch of churches in our area, and literally Thanksgiving morning, uh, we're going to help serve 5,000 meals in people's homes uh, so there are people that are needed starting the, the day before. Obviously, we're collecting green beans as a church. Uh, so back in the back, if you bring in gallon-sized cans of green beans, there's a chance for us to be able to, to bring in green beans. But there's also a chance for us to be able to serve. Uh, Wednesday, we get together, open up those cans of green beans. Thursday, there's a group of people that for years, part of Ridgepoint Church, they get there, I think, like 3.30 in the morning and start heating the green beans up and and, and there, there's others that come in and help deliver those meals. A lot of families get plugged in and say, hey, I just want to be able to come. And, and they'll give you a bag and say, here's the homes you go to and you go deliver the meals. And so it's an incredible chance just for us to be able to give back. And so if you've been a part of Thanksgiving outreach and you say, yes, I already know I want to sign up. 
uh, just, Allison asked you earlier today to fill out the connection card. And a lot of times we hear that over and over and we think, oh, do we really have to do that? Today's a day. We'd love for you to be able to do that. Because on that card, if you want to be involved with Thanksgiving outreach, we're just going to ask you to take that card. And even if you're not sure yet exactly where you want to serve, but you say, I want to serve in some way, just write on the card, Thanksgiving. And this week we'll get with you and find out exactly what you want to be able to do. Or if you have questions about that, how you can, how you can serve on Thanksgiving. So on your card, if you're interested in that, write Thanksgiving. And we'll get back to you about that. The second one is we have a project that we're partnering with here in the next couple of weeks with Habitat for Humanity. For the last year and a half, we've been partnering with, with Habitat. And, and they're nearing the completion on a home that's just about done. So this is stuff that anybody can do. If you think I'm not really handy, listen, we're going to be out there. And I don't know if this might be a detriment to some people. We're going to be throwing sod, doing some different things. If you just want to be involved, the thing I love about partnering with Habitat is it's four hours on a Saturday morning, and that's it. And there's three consecutive Saturdays coming up. They've asked for help from Ridgepoint Church. Uh, so if you just want to be a part of helping give someone a home, same connection card, just write Habitat on that, and, and we'll get back to you and say, hey, here's opportunities of where you can serve, but here's our chance to serve. We want to be able to give people a chance to serve in those two areas because we believe strongly that what Paul is teaching is really, really important, that we want to make sure that we discover our purpose. You see, if we go back to the five things that I listed as here's how it kind of what it means to feel rich. We keep thinking if we get if we get to that next level, that's where we're gonna feel some sort of really what we're longing for is more than just feeling rich. It's some sort of sense of I'm fulfilling my purpose in life. Like there's a, a psychological purpose that I'm longing for. There's some deep need that I want to have filled. Well, back almost a century ago, there's a guy by the name of Maslow that came up with a hierarchy of needs. And we actually have a chart of that hierarchy of needs. But in that hierarchy of needs, at the very bottom, most fundamental is physiological needs. And then comes safety needs. Then comes relationships and esteem. And, and I might word these things a little bit differently. And there might be some things we agree and disagree upon. But here's the thing I want us to discover about this chart is that everything that we, that we think when, we, when, we, when we're on this treadmill called life that we're pursuing, the grind that we're in, everything that we think is going to bring satisfaction is only in the first two basic needs. Like life is so much bigger than just those two basic needs. And the thing that they discover is that most of us stop in this chart right here. And we think, as long as I get those things, those two things, that I'm just going to pursue that with everything that I have. And right past that is these things like relationships. And, and ultimately, if I were to redefine it, it really is discovering God's purpose for why you were created. And the thing is, he was already laying that out for us. Saying, listen, for the people who have a lot... I'm grateful every day that God put me in, in this country where there's so much opportunity for us to flourish. There's so much opportunity for us to, to, to be able to have much, but also to do something with what we have. And so when we start to move from having much, which is the first two, to doing much with what we have, that we really start to understand our sense of purpose 
And that in doing that, we also realize that, man, God has a purpose, and the purpose for us who have much is to ask the question, what do we do with what we have? Today we've begun the discussion. Next week we'll go a little bit further with it. Let's pray together. God, first of all, I want to begin this, this season just, just by, as Psalm 104 says, by entering your gates with thanksgiving. And God, to enter your courts with praise. God, we've sung songs about you this morning. We've sung songs of, of adoration. We've sung songs of appreciation. And God, we pause right now to thank you for who you are and also to thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do. God, we live in a country where we are blessed. We have so much. And God, we rejoice in that truth this morning. I thank you for the way that you've blessed us. But God, with that blessing comes a deep responsibility and a, and a chance to discover and fulfill our purpose. And God, it begins with us being grateful by, by, by being thankful to you for what you've done. But also to ask this very valuable question, what do we do with what we have? God, you've met our deepest need when you sent Jesus to this earth to die in our place so we can have a relationship with you. And I believe as we answer that key question of what do we do with what we have, we do that not just to provide more stuff for more people, but also to share that message, the message of hope that's found in Jesus with the world around us. God, I believe right here in our midst there might be people this morning who've never realized that need in their life, the need to confess and profess who Jesus is. But if there's someone today who's, who's lost and who's alone, who, who has need of Jesus, I pray today is the day they turn to him and give their lives over to him. God, that today, that right now would be the hour of their salvation. And God, once we have that sense of purpose, that we long to share that message, the message of hope with the world around us. God bless us. Help us to answer that question adequately. What do we do with what we have? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.